You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. Joining us, one of our longest long contributors as far as he's been with the show for more years than almost anybody and one of our favorite contributors, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning from a chilly horse tooth reservoir this morning. Yeah, it's, it, uh, I noticed the temperature when I got up my house was uh, in, in the high 50s, low 60s, not like it has been. And I think it's going to be a little nicer, but it, it it's going to warm up again. But, you know, and this cold coming through will, I think, actually help the fishing. But you want to talk about a subject. In Colorado, most of the time we're starting out with our reservoirs full and fishing, and then the water declines as we go through the year. Now, this has been a different year with water coming and going in most of our reservoirs at really high levels, but they're start, the farmers are still pulling water, and we're seeing some decline, and you have to account for that when you're fishing, don't you? Oh, absolutely, and yeah, it's a little bit later this year as far as them drawing you know, the waters down, but I'm sitting here looking at horse tooth right now, and it's probably lost 12 feet in the last... Uh, two weeks so it's losing a significant amount of water over the course of the day it's noticeable Uh, like as in i put markers on the edge of the water and see what happens and it goes down four or five inches a day so it's definitely losing a bunch of water i've also been on boyd lake and douglas in the last week and both of them are also dropping so it's definitely that time of year and it changes up a whole bunch of stuff and falling water in my opinion doesn't necessarily hurt the fish or fishing, I should say, but it can keep anglers honest for a couple, you know, a couple reasons. One, the immediate change from being high and stable to falling is a definite bummer. I mean, just to, for for lack of a better way to put it, when they when they officially open the floodgate and let the water out for the first time, that first say twelve to thirty six hour period will will shut fish down horribly. In my experience, in any reservoir we've ever seen that. Uh, and I ran into that at Boyd Lake last week when they opened the outlet. I got there the morning they opened the outlet, and fishing went from good to bad immediately. And uh, and so that that's the only time. The rest of the time, the water actually falling is not a concern. And I'd actually fish. I'd rather fish low water than high water in most scenarios because it concentrates everything. But the big thing to keep in mind is that it the falling water will keep fish adjacent to deeper water that is not to say that they won't get into shallow water when the water is dropping but they'll make forays into shallow water maybe to feed or maybe to what i call roost in the evenings with when it comes to immature fish getting up in shallow water to to, uh, to sit for the evenings but for the most part um, they're going to want access to deep water all the time so that can actually make things a little bit easier on an angler because it removes a lot of the big broad expansive flat banks from the equation so as far as your decisions go so that's one thing another thing it tends to have a a, depending on how fast it's falling uh to make fish suspend meaning that they're not on the top and they're not in the bottom and that's the hardest fish to address uh in generally when i deal with what are suspended fish i immediately think of trolling uh these days i change that up a little bit because we have forward-facing sonar and forward-facing sonar has changed the open water game I'm learning very quickly uh, about open water fishing 
my learning curve has been accelerated tremendously and my neck's starting to get stiff from staring at that thing all the time. Now the water's dropping, but it makes all the difference in the world. But when I say suspend, they might be in really deep water and up and up very high in the water column even. And that's just not a, a realm that generally bass guys have dealt with. Walleye guys do to some degree when at trolling, but it's not something we commonly see. Uh, but you've got to keep an open mind about what type of places you're going to find fish and the fact that they're going to move continuously with the water dropping. So as the water keeps working its way down, your fish will move. I do best if I am going to do a structure on offshore stuff, humps, ridges, channels, ledges, anything like that that's off the bank. Uh, and the ridges may be connected to the bank, like a long sloping ridge coming out, something like that. But generally speaking, it's going to have deep water all the way around it and or near it. Uh, and when I say deep water, if I'm referencing, say, a place like Horsetooth, I say that water needs to be in the at least 20 to 40 foot range. And here at Horsetooth, part of the reason that is is because the smelts stay at 40 feet or below during the day. Uh, for one, and for two, the shad high in the column will get up against the structure as the water's falling like this. So it basically keeps you honest, but it makes you get out and stay around open water, deeper water and away from the flatter banks. The fish will still bite, but you just got to be very open-minded about where you find them. You know, a couple points come to mind when you were saying all that. Uh, one is uh, the forward facing sonar has taught us. We used to, I don't think we even knew if those fish were there, the, especially bass suspended and we certainly didn't know how to address them as far as fishing to them. We could do a little bit with diving crankbaits and we could do some other things, but we tended to fish, you know, in the, in the cover or on the bank or on the structure and maybe two or three feet above because we knew where those fish were. Our traditional sonar would show us those fish. Now with the forward facing sonar, those fish, we know they're there, we know how they're acting, and we're starting to see developments and way to attack them. Oh, 100%. I'm working on some bait development right now stuff that I can't tell you about. You'd have to have a non-disclosure agreement on uh, on file, and I'm pretty sure our listeners don't. But I'm working on some baits right now with a company that are, that are being designed specifically to address fish in open water uh, in casting applications. And I want to point out that two of the three biggest walleyes I caught last year, now, again, this is last year, but I still caught two of them last year when the lake was dropping really quickly, on surface baits in a hundred feet of water. And that is not a realm I would have ever even been fishing except for the fact that I could see them on the forward facing sonar and they were cruising right down the middle of the lake, right directly under a foam line that the wind was blowing down the lake. So I would never even have tried to fish that before if I wasn't able to look at it and, uh, and see what's out there. And I saw fish. I assumed they were bass or wipers. Turns out they were big honking walleyes out there. So, uh, that's an interesting one. Another one right now that's, that's interesting on that is the, the, uh, white bass and wall or, uh, wipers, I should say. And both of those have been really interesting. I've been targeting those a little bit at Boyd and at Horsetooth and in the open water scenarios, it's the thing that amazes me is how fast they're going from the surface to the bottom and back. And you and I would have both told people depth range, depth range, depth range, but I'm watching walleye or excuse me, watching wipers cover 30 feet of water column in, in like five seconds and not think anything about it. So 
it's definitely opened some stuff up, but, but it's made the falling water all that more, all that much more uh, accessible to anglers as far as catching goes. And I know a lot of people panic when they start seeing low water or falling water levels, but at the end of the day, I'd rather fish that. It's just that you have to stay on adjacent to deep water and around big pieces of defined structure in most cases to, uh, to stay you know relevant to the fish. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, I think we've always kind of understood that during falling water, the instincts of those fish were have deep water nearby so they wouldn't get trapped in a small pond that would develop in a lake or something. So I think that's been a, a, an evolutionary development of the fish, and it's instinctive. The other thing, fishing these suspended fish, <clears throat> what I've gone to do a lot, and I want to get your opinion on this, is I'm throwing soft baits that are a little larger but without as much weight, so they stay in the water column and maybe in the strike zone a little longer. Have you tried that? I have done some of that, and I've gone the other way around, too, uh, along the same lines and throwing very small baits. Uh, they're very light, and they sink very slow, and I'm literally using the line to hold the bait up, if that makes any sense. So uh, one of the tricks I'm doing right now, and it's working for me very well, is throwing the little tiny Berkeley power switch they came out with. It's an inch and three-quarters long. It only weighs a sixteenth of an ounce. And that's a tiny, tiny little bait, but it's almost exactly the same size as the baby shad that the fish are feeding on in the open water, particularly at Boyd Lake. And so that bait sinks very slowly if you have it on a little bit of heavier braided line. You can't even cast it on heavy monofilament or fluorocarbon because it's only 16 of an ounce. But on braid, you can, and I'll make a long throw with it, and the bait is not heavy enough to pull the braid down through the water column very quickly. And therefore, it sinks really slow and stays high in the water column where those uh, white bass are feeding and allows me to work it almost horizontally, even though it's a hybrid jig. So uh, along the same lines, basically using a little bit more of a neutrally buoyant situation, just depending on how you get there. A large, uh, like a five-inch soft jerk bait on a very light jig head is another good call, or even a keel-weighted hook uh, is an excellent call as well. And those are along the lines where you're talking about, and again, it's all about the sink rate. But the, the suspended fish, you wouldn't know how much sink rate you needed if you couldn't see them on the forward-facing sonar, and that's, that makes a big difference. I'd probably use it more now in the falling water scenario than I did all of spring combined. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the reason I stayed away from the little one is just getting the casting distance. But if you have a really light braid and a, and a good rod, you can get it out there. But you and I have talked before that um, seeing how these fish behave has changed our understanding of how spooky they can be. Absolutely. And that's the other thing. And I'm going to throw this out there. The, the uh, junior, uh, excuse me, the high school Bassmaster State Championship is tomorrow here at Horse Tooth. And I'm sure that's going to be one offshore, uh, you know, on humps and things like that. And one of the things I experienced this week repeatedly was fish getting out from under my boat. And, uh, and so you, you, you idle over them, they're fine. You look at them on the graph, like, oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them sitting around this ridge right here. It's exactly like I've just described on the radio. The ridge is, you know, 25 feet down to the top of it, deep water all the way around it. You idle over it, they're fine. Big old stack of them looks like something out of the textbook. You drop the trolling motor, turn back around, trolling motor over to them, watch them on the forward-facing sonar as you get to them. 
and they disperse as soon as the boat gets over them. So I've learned to stay back off of them if I mark them. And I'm going back to even the old school of throwing a marker buoy on them that actually, you know, sitting on the surface of the water so that I can stay back away from the fish and throw at the buoy because spatial awareness in open water can be tricky. So I can throw at the buoy and then I know that my bait's dropping into where those fish were. But when I try to put the boat right on top of them, a lot of cases they're either not biting or just flat leaving and they don't go far they just get out from under the boat even though it's 25 feet you know above them in the water much deeper than that it's not an issue but any shallower than that it's been it's been major and it's very noticeable getting worse and worse as summer goes on i lamented that all morning yesterday on the lake where every time i'd find a group of fish they'd get out from under my boat we are out of time my friend but great information if people want to get a hold of you how do they do that uh, social media at Fishful Thinker, Facebook, Instagram, and especially the YouTube channel would be the best thing or at fishfulthinker.com. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Terry. You bet. Shad chance. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.